Welcome to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking us out. This show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us and diving into the stories that they not only created, but lived as well. So join us as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. Today we talk about Neil Gaiman, or at least as much as we can talk about him in one hour. I do get a little distracted, but I still, I'm all about that Neil talk, so let's get ready. We go into his childhood, his love of comics and regular books, his birthday presents, and love of all things punk. This will be a two-part series where, in this episode, we'll focus on his inspirations and comic books. I go hard on the Sandman, so get ready for that. In the next episode, we'll talk about his literary works and film contributions. got um dashboard confessionals in my head because of neil gaiman and sandman so all i hear this whole i should have started this episode with a different song it should have just been the hands down song oh my god my hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me so won't you kill me oh my god so i die happy (laughs) i think i can die happy now having heard that right i don't know why but sandman it just brings it, it like, makes you think of like that I get song? super emo, I guess, and like I need to listen to some emo acoustic music. <laughs> so there's no connection between Sandman and Dashboard Not Confessional, really. just no. to be clear. Just just my emotional state. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my heart is yours oh, to no. fill or burst, to break or bury. Oh, where is jewelry? Sandman is a good book. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I guess they can they can tell what we're going to talk about today. Maybe, <laughs> maybe either dashboard confessional or, or Neil Gaiman. Yeah, something one, one of those. Of, one of those two. It's a it's a choose your own adventure podcast. <laughs> if you want us to talk about dashboard confessionals, skip over to minute fifteen now. That would be so cool. We should do that. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. And then if you listen to it just straight through, it's the most confusing. It makes no sense. It's the dumbest thing you could listen to. That'd be great. Yeah, but the Black Mirror episode forces you to choose one. Yeah, and they're always wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I died. Intro. Intro! Okay, so spoiler alert, we're actually talking about Neil Gaiman, not Dashboard Confessional. Yeah, but who are we? Oh, oh, I'm Hannah. Um, (laughs) And the other voice, that's Tyler. I'm Tyler. And And this is Between Lewis and Lovecraft. And in the background, you got Amy, our producer. I didn't forget about you, but the rest of the world will because you're going to go do your math homework. (laughs) <laughs> Amy, don't apologize for education. No, you need. To- I'll be back. I won't be gone. All right, she's gonna be gone for a little bit, but she'll be back, and you'll know when because she's a loud producer. She inserts herself into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy's here for those. Oh, nice! She's ah, fired. It was a burn. <laughs> For those who uh, might be new listeners, Amy's yeah. here because she owns the Book Nook, which is where Soul we're recording proprietor. from. This 15-year-old yep. who needs to go do her homework owns and runs 
and is expanding the Canby book nook by <laughs> herself. It has nothing to do with her mom, Megan, and her, her dad, Paul, who own and run and let us do everything here. Which is super nice of them. It is very nice. We, we would have to be doing this out on the streets <laughs> if they didn't let us in here. Yeah. And it's cold, guys. So today we're talking Neil, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Who's been like a lifetime favorite of mine. Yeah? Yeah. He is a brand new favorite of mine. Ugh. Like brand new favorite. Well, I should say, okay, so I read Coraline when I was fairly young. I think it came out in like 2002 or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I really liked it. But then I really got into him more around 2015, I think, when yep. I read some short stories and then was like, oh, this dude has written a lot of stuff. So then right? I started reading a lot after that. And that's the thing. Like I've, I've got my book and just so that we can get ahead of it today, I'm going, well, today and our next episode, because we will be doing two episodes. Oh, yeah. I almost asked if we could do three episodes because he's, there's so much. Yep. But if we didn't give Lovecraft three episodes, we're not giving fucking Neil Gaiman three episodes. <laughs> anyway. I'm reading The Art of Neil Gaiman, the story of a writer with handwritten notes, drawings, manuscripts, and personal paragraphs by Haley Campbell in conversation with Neil Gaiman. That's Forward a long by Audrey Neffinger. Oh <laughs> That's and what's it kept on the front. <laughs> the, the cover of that book has a lot of words on it. Yeah, of course it does. It's a writer's book. <laughs> and since I didn't find a biography on him, I just listened to a crap ton of interviews and read a lot of British media articles. Mm, that must have been really fun. For it was you. fun because they use um, weird words like lad instead of boy, right? And, just... and mobile for cell phone. Yes, I yes. think we've talked about this before yeah i don't know what my hang-up is with the word mobile that was like pun intended your hang-up <laughs> oh yeah it's got me on hook <laughs> <laughs> i'm a 30 year old man <laughs> <laughs> we'll just let that linger yeah. um okay so yeah we're, we're talking about neil gaiman um you were saying that you were into his stuff for a long time then yeah and it started with Coraline the movie or the book the book okay of course the don't book don't say it like I've insulted you the movie was good it, it was a good movie but like the the book is so much better it always is it always Avi. is <laughs> also it was just the original and I feel like you know you always remember your first book that you read by one of your favorite authors or oh, whatever yeah. so like looking yeah. back I'll always be like remembering when I walked into the school library and picked up this weird book with like a girl and a cat on the front and was like what am I getting myself into and then have you talked about this book before I feel like you have it's a, a girl with a, with a cat have you not seen Coraline oh oh <laughs> I thought it? you were describing something else no that's like the cover like, it's like the honestly, girl holding a candle and there's a cat on it well what's going to my head was animorphs oh which obviously I haven't talked about enough no on this show um I read my first Neil Gaiman anything one year ago. Wow. Almost exactly one year ago. What was it? The Sandman. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, you're yep. so prepared for this uh, this episode then. I And I, I, I didn't read all of it, and that'll come back to play in, in a little bit when we start going through some stuff. But I... Um, I lived a very sheltered life my my whole life. I read a lot of Christian fiction. You, obviously, I love Lewis. Um, and it's only in my late 20s that I have decided to experiment with the things that I am willing to read. So I found Lovecraft. I found Gaiman. I found all kinds of weird stuff. And Sandman comic book has, all, has been 
always on the top of my list of like, I really want to get into it, but I'm worried about the content and I don't <laughs> know if I can deal with the stuff that he writes in it. Um, and I, I think that was the right decision for me. 18 year old me, if I would have picked up Sandman, I would have been like, oh, this is disgusting. Oh my <laughs> God. How did they put this in print? But 30 year old me <laughs> is like, oh yeah, that's a bit much, but yeah, all right, that's cool. <laughs> I'm glad you've grown so much in the last decade. Yeah, that's Tyler Clausen summed up in a nutshell yeah, right, right there. <laughs> Whereas Hannah Lambert has been fully open to all the gross stuff since day one as a reader. I'm wow, just like, all right. Fully open to all the gross all stuff. All the gross stuff. <laughs> I, I was reading like Ellen Hopkins in fifth grade and stuff. Like Over my head. Sorry. You just said a word and I didn't understand i made no mental connection to anything on that <laughs> but we're gonna mentally connect to this so nice tyler uh set it up by mentioning sandman um this episode is gonna focus more on neil gaiman's life what goes into early, making a early neil gaiman, life yeah um and then also comics specifically yeah. a lot sandman because that was his major comic book work it was man it's not especially after reading this book you i want to say yeah it's his major work but it's not. There's so much that he's done that's like so much more. Not that Sandman was any less than anything else, but there's there's just so much weight to everything he's done. And it's like, I want to be like, oh yeah, it's his big breakthrough thing. But it's not. He's had so many breakthrough things that it's hard to be like this one thing. But like one breakthroughs thing. in different genres. Yeah. But also Sandman came at a time in his life when he was like just starting out. So it was like his mm-hmm. big thing where it was like, this is the thing that everyone's freaking out about. And yeah really started the cult following that is Neil I think Gaiman. I think so you're right yeah. I think it if if anything the way that I would attest it is it is what defined the Neil Gaiman style yes yeah so have you read any of the Sandman at all no no <laughs> I'm not a comic book person that is that is very too bad I know that is way not so good. Tyler's later on Tyler's gonna tell us all about Sandman not all about well all about Mostly whichever volumes about. he read <laughs> <laughs> volumes is proper yeah Z- is but, right. Oh my God! That was skateboarding a skateboarding youth. <laughs> Jeez Louise! Sounded like a train coming through. What it was. <laughs> I know I'm an old man now that I'm annoyed at skateboarders outside. <laughs> yeah, let's pause while Tyler goes and yells at that child. <laughs> Get off the sidewalk! <laughs> All right. Okay. So, shall we start way back we in shall. 1960? <laughs> let's do this. Let's get the mobile out and do it. Okay. So since Tyler likes to compare himself age-wise to like famous authors, we like to start out by saying Neil Gaiman was born on November 10th, 1960. So as of this recording, he's 58, but by the time you guys listen to this, he'll be 59. Oh, snap. Future pod. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was born in some small place in England. Some small place. Porchester, Hampshire, Mm. England. I have no idea what part of England that's in, but he's British, guys. Southeastern, I think. And then um, his family moved to Sussex when they were five. Which, southern coast. Yeah. That's all it says, southern coast. You know, some, some British place. Um, <laughs> some British place. <laughs> his parents were, uh, you know, typically boring. His mom was a pharmacist. His mm-hmm. dad worked at a chain of grocery stores that his grandfather had started. Um, and then he had two younger sisters. His family is of Polish Jewish descent. So he grew up kind of Jewish, 
but also his family got really into Scientology. Scientology, yep. So he's just like Like leading this very confused life. They moved, um, they moved, I don't know if they did move for, to West Sussex for Scientology, but it's like a big deal in West Sussex. That's like when they got into it. So, so Scientology. Yeah. His sister in one article she was like describing how awkward it was whenever people asked what their religion was and she's like we're jewish scientologists mm, yeah that's that's a weird a one. weird combo <laughs> um so he like grew up you know with his jewish heritage um and while preparing for his bar mitzvah he g- got really into like religious writings um but then to his father's dismay he used all of his bar mitzvah bar mitzvah money on american comics yeah which you know bar mitzvah is 13 years old right i think so yeah. yeah so you just skipped a lot are you planning on going back a little bit or you just you're just plowing ahead you just did you want to talk about pretend i mean he loved books so okay but he loved books a lot he loved books a lot no 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 he loved books a lot he Hannah. literally said that he took them everywhere with for him. his seventh birthday you know what he did for his seventh birthday. What did he do? His fa- So he had read the first Chronicles of Narnia book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So his family's like, oh, we'll get him the whole pack, right? So for his seventh birthday, they get him the whole pack. And he reads the entire Chronicles of Narnia for his birthday. You can't read the entire Chronicles of Narnia in one day. He did. It's impossible. And He's then, a liar. And then he wrapped it in cellophane so it will never age. Perfect. He's keeping it perfect forever because it was like his favorite book series it's the one that got him into like the fantasy stuff right and then he gets into all kinds of weird stuff and he starts going to library all the time and when they kick him out he has to he has to make a decision am i gonna be back tomorrow to finish this book or should i take it home right like he's like "Ah, i'm probably just gonna be back so i'm not even gonna rent i'm not rent i'm not even gonna (laughs) check out the book because i'm just gonna be back tomorrow so like he spends all of his time at the library he is his brain as a child is morphed by all the books and he talks about how he he goes into it like he started reading them alphabetically because it's the only way that his brain like he couldn't just go to the shelf and be like oh i think i'll choose this one today and i'll read this one today it's he literally he knew that he was going to read all of them he's like i gotta start at a and just work my way to z yeah that's nuts a seven a ten year old you know what he got for his 10th birthday a bookshelf no (laughs) better almost but better they got him a build it your own shed for the backyard so he could have his own private library Perfect. And then after that, he alphabetized all of his books. <laughs> I, let's go back a second, Hannah. I just described the world's greatest gift in the entire world. Your own personal library in the backyard. <laughs> I'm sure you can put one in, in, in your I just your need to convince too. Becca that we, we need to buy, go to Home Depot, buy Get a, she a shed. she shed, and let me have it, a he library. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can be living like a 10-year-old Neil Gaiman. If I can just get to a point where I am on the same level as Neil Gaiman at 10 years old, I will die happy. Oh. <laughs> Very aspirational. Okay. Now we can get to bar mitzvah money being spent on comic books. Well, I think that's important too because, you know, he's got to get into comics somehow. Right. And he does. Like, they're a huge part of his upbringing they he didn't just read books he read comic books he read all the time 
it was it was the only thing he really did yeah he literally said how like he took books with him everywhere to bar mitzvah rehearsal to other people's bar mitzvahs to funerals to weddings yeah and his parents would like have to take them away from him eventually and be like yo you can't read here it's inappropriate it's inappropriate to read here like we are at a funeral (laughs) damn it um yeah he talks about how uh like this one cover that they have in this book that I've got where it's the Justice League of America and it has Batman punching this bad guy. Like that changed his life because he was like, You can see you can see that this art person was taking the the motion of anger and frustration and like putting it into the cover. It's super cool how he describes like just, just looking at comic book art is what shaped his life. It's pretty cool. But as like in your reading, he never really got into like art art he didn't draw or paint or anything did he uh this is actually his art right here oh he's got a little sketch in there yeah he he would do his own comic books as far as i knew when he was younger because yeah yeah i mean at some point i think he started to realize like this is not my what's what's my strong suit writing stories is my strong suit let's find because the thing that i get from from the way that he talks in this and and from his writings He's a very he's a very logical person and analytical person um, on top of being creative. And it's this really cool mixture of like he he know he's analytical enough to analyze the creativity of people and that he talks about that and it shows in his writing. Um, and again, we'll talk a little bit more about this later when we get into Sandman, but he said that that hit the way that he would write was, he would impersonate other writers and then he would try and just replicate how they wrote their voices for things. And he was really good at it Mm -hmm. because he knows the creative process enough and his brain is analytical enough that he can break down what is creativity, which is insane. Yeah. That's nuts. I I think it, fits perfectly into how he has managed to cross into so many different formats and stuff like he's written everything from songs to comic books to episodes of Mm -hmm. doctor who for god's sake it's like you don't do that without having like the ability to kind of impersonate other right other styles yeah definitely um so you just said he he wrote songs were you gonna bring up when he he, wrote songs well uh, in high school yeah like most young men this guy this guy started a band he talked three of his friends into doing like a punk band or something not no 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 no. don't minute you keep minimizing the things tyler's punk band or something he was in london at the time of the punk scene in the early uh or late 70s early 80s whatever and this is when like the punk scene was taken over and it was becoming a thing and he like he jumped in full force into it and he credits every success in writing and everything that he's had on his time as a punk in a in a punk band like he says that if it wasn't for that mindset of like figure it out do it yourself and then go go do it in front of people he would have never found the success that he had because everything that he does he was just figuring it out as he went along well i feel like he credits that to a lot of stuff because at the <laughs> same time as he was starting the punk band he and his friends were all or, he and one friend were also pretending to be journalists. That's very true. And calling yeah. up random like people and saying well, that they, they were going to interview they, them. They basically he <clears throat> he started in a punk band and then through that he started his own punk magazine 
essentially. Yeah, they they called it Metro. Right. Because that sounds like It sounds like a legit magazine name, which again, this is just his genius of like understanding the creative mindset and being able to break it down. He at the age of what? 17 years old? That was like 15 or 16. Yeah, 16 years old. He was able to go, you know what sounds like a legit name? Metro. Metro. Hey, I'm calling for this guy in a major, you know, rock band, and I'm, you know, Neil Gaiman from Metro. And then people would just be like, oh, yeah, Metro, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to pretend like, or you don't want to admit that you haven't heard of this publication, and Metro sounds real. It sounds like a legit thing. So he would get to interview all these, like, actual famous people. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the punk scene influenced the way that he approaches everything that he does i think you know like on top of the fact that he is so good at breaking stuff down his his mentality of why and how he's gonna do that comes from all the punk scene that he had growing up he's just a punk rock person he's a (laughs) punk rock writer amy's back amy's back she's doing math i understand it now though so oh that's good thank god i was so worried but yeah so uh moving right ahead he took that that fake journalism and then didn't go to college but he started actually working as a journalist right um uh this was in the early 80s then um and he says he became a journalist because he wanted to write novels and films and he knew that but it seemed like journalism was a better starting place because a it would let him ask questions and learn things about the world and how it worked yeah and b it gave him a paid gig where he was also like learning how to write and how to handle deadlines and stuff like that. Yeah. So he was very like analytical about it. He's like, this is how I'm going to get to where I want to be. Sure. Um, and he really like used it to his advantage. Uh, he would go to fantasy conventions for his job, um, and interview authors he admired. Um, and in, I think that included Alan Moore, the author or the creator of Swamp Thing. Yeah. Because he was talking to him about his work. So he was like using journalism to A, be a journalist, but also to like research his own future writings. Right, right. Which is brilliant. And now I feel... I'm bringing up my notes right now. Oh, perfect. I I feel validated in my career choice now because I'm like, oh, yes, I can go interview (laughs) authors and find out how to be a better author. So what you're saying is you'll, you'll... be happy when you make it as an 18 year old Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Yeah. That's really where I strive to be. <laughs> um, oh, 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 okay. I want to go back real quick. Where are we going back to? Eight years old. Oh my God. It's, we really took a detour. Yeah, I know. Um, okay. So it's the first, he was eight years old. It was the first time he said the word. Sorry. Amy. It. It's the first time he said the word fuck. Right. Did he say it on purpose? Uh, I can't remember the exact story, but basically, basically he says the word and then everyone freaks out and then he asks his dad about it and his dad's like, yeah, it's, it's a bad word. Like, don't say it until you're older sort of thing. And he said that that's the moment he realized how much power words have because like you can affect people by just saying one word and you get different responses by that one word so i really liked that story of how he, he talks about like understanding what words do and i think it's so cool I, I like the power of words um and so i i really resonate with that i think i'm destined to not be like neil gaiman then because i said it for the first time when i was four and was trying to rhyme something with yuck and after that i was just like well i better never say that word again yeah <laughs> it made mom mad 
<laughs> I remember the first time I said uh, fuck, and it was um, it was while playing video games. Oh. Uh, I didn't even know I could say it. Uh, I've heard it, obviously, all my life, but like my dad scared me enough to where like even when he wasn't around, I was like, no, I'm not doing anything wrong because my dad is basically God and he just knows when I do bad stuff. But I was playing uh, a racing game against my dad, and I was like, we were, we had bet dinner. Like he's like, if I win, I get to make, or you have to make this food for me, and if you win, then I'll make pizza for you or something like that, right? And so I was like, in it, I was racing my heart out, and then right at the last second my dad just like pulls around me in this game because he's really good at it and he was messing with me the whole time and he pulls around and he wins and it just came out and it's like that moment in uh a christmas carol uh no not a christmas a christmas story when he's like i just said it. it just came out sort of thing and like and i remember like dropping the controller and i looked over my dad and he goes you get one (laughs) (laughs) i never said it again until i was in college and that's when tyler realized that words have power (laughs) right my dad's words in threatening me (laughs) uh but yeah yeah so that was that was a good story i think that was uh do you have any other callbacks or uh, some some weird story about how how we first got into comic books like he would someone had left him um like a box of comic books or something and he found them and he just went nuts and then he asked his dad like yo who who gave me all these comic books and his dad like kind of kept it a secret and was like oh maybe i'll tell you someday or something like that and then like he says i i always forgot to ask him and then he died so i never found out who gave me my first box of comic books such yeah, terrible it's, story. it's really sad, right? But at the same time, <laughs> it's probably his dad, it, right? That's that's what I think. I'm like, yeah, it's probably his dad trying not to be like, oh yeah, go go read these. He's just like, oh, it's a mystery. Go read the comic books, and so, Aww. yeah, <laughs> Mr. Gaiman. <laughs> all right, you're okay, good. You can keep going now. It's all right. I just want to make sure. No, yeah, no, no, no anecdotes right. from when he was two. Two? No, I have early twenties. <laughs> well, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So he was he was journalisting. Journalisting. Um, and one interesting anecdote there. Aren't you a journalist? Yeah, and you I just journalist used, on a regular basis. <laughs> you you use the word journalisting. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, don't judge me. Yeah. Sorry. But um, anecdotally, he said how he got hired when he was also still starting out when editors would ask him what publications he worked for for before he would just lie (gasps) and say that he worked for all of these different like magazines and stuff because it wasn't like now where you could just like look it up and see if they had any clips and so editors would just hire him and he was like oh that's that's totally fine so yeah be like neil gaiman lie (laughs) be like neil gaiman and lie there you go yeah um so it was while he was working as a freelance journalist that he earned his first author credit writing a paperback biography for the band Duran Duran. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, is, I don't have much to say about this. I had no idea. I was actually very surprised. I was like, wait, Neil Gaiman wrote a biography that's, about that's Duran Duran? That's the thing about him and his writing is that he p- 
pops he up in these random places. Anything. Yes. Yeah. And so I wasn't surprised when in my book he talks about that. And um, there's uh, a, a story where he said that he met one of the like the lead singer, lead guitarist or something. And uh, they were at a party and he went over and he's like, you know, and I kind of wanted to break the ice and, and just make sure that they didn't hate me or something because they know who I am. So I just brought it up and they're like, oh, yeah, which which one did you write? Because they had several <laughs> books written about them. It's, you know, they were a popular band. And he told them the title and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was one of the good ones. We liked that one. <laughs> so he's like, oh, it kind of validated my work. <laughs> That's always nice. I mean, it was a good one because the first printing sold out in a matter of days. So. Well, yeah, it's Duran yeah. Duran in the 80s. In of the 80s, 1984. So like everyone was buying that biography. Yeah. Um. And then his next one was Don't Panic, right? Um, I, d- I don't know off the top of my head yes. which one came Megan next. Megan says Megan thumbs up. Yes. Don't panic. We're just going to bring Megan on to the next right? episode. Um, And that was... Megan, are you going to be on our next episode? Yes, I'll be on the next Perfect. Megan's going to be on our next She's episode. Committed. We got a special guest. That's how I line him up. Right. <laughs> so his next biography was Don't Panic, the official Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Companion. Yep. Yeah, I don't really know much about that one. Disappointing, Megan. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking through here, trying to find the Duran Duran thing, um, because there was an interesting. Here it is. Um, <clears throat> he basically like he got a call from someone who's like, "Hey, we want, we want you to, to write a book about you know, music and stuff." And so he's like, "Ooh." this is exciting. I love music and uh, I love writing. So this will be the best thing ever. And I want to get paid. And so like they basically told him or he's going into it thinking, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write about Led Zeppelin and David Bowie and all these awesome people. And they're like, (laughs) they're like, uh, yeah, you get to choose between. Um, okay. So I found it. Uh, they basically give him this choice. You can choose between Duran Duran, Barry Manilow, or Def Leppard. I would have chosen Def Leppard. And his uh, his logic was: I figured Duran Duran had much had done much less. They had done three albums by that point, and were just about to bring out a fourth. With Barry Manilow, I figured I was going to have to listen to you know forty Barry Manilow albums. Uh, <laughs> And then um, he suggested somebody else for Def Leppard because he had already that other person, uh, Dave Dickin, Dixon, Dave Dixon had already written a piece on them for the magazine Kerrang. 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 Oh, is that the one with like a yeah, K R A N G or whatever? I was trying to say it as fun as possible. Wait, yeah. I should. I guess I should say it more um, <clears throat> like English, right? So it'd be Krang. No, that's they don't not. roll their R's. That's wrong. Darn it, <laughs> crack. Nope, not gonna do it. Not gonna do Krang in an English voice, I guess. Um, <laughs> but so during this time, though, he he was writing a lot. Like, so we're about to get into "Don't Panic," right? But he was writing before all this. He was writing pieces for, like, Penthouse yeah. and Nave and all of the smut magazines. Because they'd pay him to write these weird fantasy sci-fi stuff. And that's what he liked doing. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's so weird because it's like there's somebody else. Well, like Lovecraft, like all of his stuff was written in weird magazine style yeah. short story things. Um, uh, Stephen King. I mean, we haven't had an episode yep. on him, but that's how he started. He would just write short stories and send them into penthouse. And, you know, I think he even did a Playboy at no, one point. I've been doing it all wrong this whole time. That's right? what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I, I just, Everybody work on your penthouse letters right you now. Just, you just write short stories, short, weird stories, and send them into the magazines that nobody else like yeah. will actually read them in. And you'll get paid money. And you'll build enough of a resume that it justifies doing bigger work. Mm -hmm. This is legit. Like, I'm legitimately learning how a big-time author got big by reading this. That I'm not being sarcastic. Like, you should (laughs) actually... If you're trying to become a writer, if you're 20 years old and you want to be a writer, start writing short stories for magazines that nobody reads. Because you will get published, you will get paid sometimes, maybe not a lot, but you'll get paid. You'll get feedback. You'll get feedback. And you'll build a resume. And then when people come along who go, hey, you want to write a book about a band? You'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess. And then you get, don't panic. Yeah. It's kind of that attitude, don't say no to any opportunities, basically. He, right. He takes all of these, these opportunities. And then, then he gets to Don't Panic, which is the biography about um, Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Tyler, do you want to take it? Yeah. And, and real quick. Another backup, not as far as I did before. You literally just told me to sit, talk I about know. Don't Panic. I know, I know, I know. And then I flipped through the book and I saw he, when he, uh, at this time, he was making a lot of friends doing the Nave stuff, the penthouse stuff. He had a few different people and they had, they actually had this whole like scheme where they would write like 10 stories together and then submit them each as a different name and stuff. And then they had a collective bank account. Where so like they would just like do all this stuff, and so one of his friends and him they actually decided to write a book, not write a book, rather m- design a book. I guess is what it would be technically. Like plot it out and stuff. Or? No, basically what they did is they thought it would be hilarious to publish a book where it was just a collection of the worst lines in all of sci-fi. Yeah, like sci-fi pulp and and everything, and they put that together, and they started doing this this fun, jokey type. You know, really only hardcore nerds of this type of genre would enjoy this book. And they start writing this whole story, or they start doing this whole book together. And then he, Gaiman, actually goes and does one interview with, um, with Douglas Adams, the writer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which. 100% we're going to do an episode on Douglas Adams. Like, he is an amazing author and a really cool person. Uh, do you know much about him? Nothing. No? Except that Neil Gaiman interviewed him one time. One time. For Penthouse, but had so much material, he sold it to two Three. other magazines. Three total yeah. magazines bought one interview. God, I wish my interviews were that profitable. bits and parts of it were sent to different ones. So he got paid three times for one interview that's uh that's a good ratio i think yeah and it was a good connection to make because because then when um they were trying to do a douglas adams biography the first writer kind of flaked out wrote a little bit didn't finish it um so then they asked around and got hooked up with neil yeah to write don't panic well through his friend kim newman who was like oh no i, I don't it, i won't write but. it but i know this guy who has done a lot of interviews with him one one interview is what how much he, he did gets three magazines <laughs> and a book deal so uh so he gets connected with um with douglas or er, agless 
Good lord. Douglas Adams? Thank you. Douglas um, Douglas Douglas. Um, and he he starts basically following this guy around. And like Which was probably fascinating. Yeah, and and he talks about how like he was learning from Adams not just not just the craft of writing, which he was learning from him like how to write these things. On top of that, he was learning how to be a good um, author, like how to be almost a good celebrity. Like he talks about how like he, like, um, where is it? He's like, uh, and I think he was happier. He was enthusiastic, tall, admirable, terribly polite. I learned as an author so much about how to treat fans and how to treat journalists just from watching Douglas. He treated everybody with unfailing affability and politeness. Affability, yeah, that's affability. a word. <laughs> You're affable. And I mean, that's not just like Neil saying that. Everyone who interviews him yeah. comments on how nice he is, yeah. how warm he is, how welcoming. And he interacts with his fans so well. Right. He'll do signings for like eight hours straight and then have to ice his arm when he goes home. Like, yeah. yeah, because it's, it's a matter of like understanding who are you writing this for? Yeah. And who, who's really at the end of the day, who's signing your paycheck? It's the people that are going to read your books. Yeah. That are going to stand in line for eight hours too to wait for you to sign their comic book or yeah. novel or whatever. And I mean, we can we can deep dive into um, a commentary on today's social standings of celebrities and like the YouTube generation of celebrities. And like you have this idea that people expect to be famous just because they made a video or two. Um, and they almost like they almost demand that their fans show up and mm -hmm. so like to see people who are like i genuinely am constantly humbled by reading these books by reading stephen king's memoir by reading about uh lovecraft and lewis both of them who spent just as much time writing to their fans and to their their supporters as much time as they did writing stories like it's 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 amazing to me to see that style of celebrity yeah of like human yeah like they they know what's important and they humble themselves enough to to sit down and do exactly what what i think gaiman has taken from douglas and and really made it about i'm producing this for you sort of thing yeah so so yeah he learns a lot from douglas adams Adams Nailed Douglas. It. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I got I know. <laughs> so close. Agless. Agless Duggums. <laughs> Good old Duggums. It sounds like an English nickname that you would give him. Maybe he did. We don't know. We don't know. Unless he wrote about it in yeah. the book. Um so what what happens next? So do we want to talk like personal life next or do we want to do Let's let's do personal life. Um, because once we start talking about comic books, we're never going to go back. And there so, is, so just so you guys know, there is a period, the next big period would be the good omens period in his life. But we're going to save that. We are going to save that time. because we're focusing so much on his life and his comics in this episode. Um, we want to talk about the, his novels later. Okay. So we're going to do both of his marriages and then skip back to comic books. Yeah. Because I know nothing about his personal life at this point nothing 
it's all comic books for me. So you take it. I'm going to tell you all about Neil Gaiman's love life, starting in... But real quick, when he was eight, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) He had this hella crush. (laughs) No. So his first marriage was to a woman named Mary McGrath. Um, They actually met while Mary was studying Scientology in England. She lived with Neil Gaiman's dad. So that's how they met. Um, So their son was born in 1983. They got married two years later. And then they moved to Wisconsin in 1992. Which, like, again, you say you're not surprised by anything. I am constantly surprised by Neil Gaiman's life because he doesn't seem like a Wisconsin type sure yeah Um, yeah when i think neil gaiman i think like england london or like new york city or something sure yeah he belongs he's in a big city he's he's going into the basements of cafes to do his writing and then he comes out and walks down the street in his trench coat and scarf and like makes observations about people and pulls out his little notebook and but instead he's doing that in rural wisconsin (laughs) so just like and he like still has his house there so i don't understand what is the appeal of wisconsin so they moved there to be closer to mary's family because they were starting their own family and wanted to be close to you know the in-laws who live in minneapolis i think which is just across the the border yeah um so they're living in wisconsin my i don't i don't like wisconsin it's taken my little brother from me i've literally never been there but i'm sorry for your loss yeah my little brother moved there and it was like this random thing of like in in early october he goes hey in a week i'm moving to to wisconsin and i'm like why like i get literally everyone would say why because sorry get, wisconsin but sure what do you, you want to move away but why wisconsin before winter like it's gonna get so cold dude he's gonna freeze know. to death he probably didn't even pack the right clothes no he took like his tank top and like uh bikini and <laughs> it's like probably already frozen and snowy there. he sent me a picture yesterday it's completely covered in snow just out his back window just snapped it and sent it over and yeah. i'm like you fool you you're fool. stuck there you can't even leave now because if you try to get on a plane they'd be like uh no <laughs> no planes are taking off until june yeah i know right yeah <laughs> but if it's good enough for neil gaiman it is good enough for your brother oh okay yeah no that's yeah. true so he was living there um they ended up getting divorced you know three kids in total mm. couldn't quite make it as a married couple yeah they divorced around 2008 um but they like still like she was living in like a a guest house on the same property still because he wanted to be close to the kids like really close apparently sure so they worked it out they described themselves as being better friends than a couple so i guess they're very mature about their relationship that way all right um (laughs) right i i probably would not live with my ex-husband after we divorced or on the same property there's, there's a whole show about that right with uh um the lady that played Pam. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? That's fiction. This is real. This is real stuff. Neil Gaiman's not a fake. <laughs> so his next marriage and his like way more like public relationship because mm. they're both celebrities in their own right is to Amanda fucking Palmer. I don't know why she made her middle name fucking. Like, <laughs> that's just what she goes by. She has a real middle name and it's something like Scottish because that's where she comes from. Why did you... Why Is this... A, it's this like, wasn't a joke no, that you it's made up. Actually, what she goes by is Amanda fucking Palmer. Really? Yes. So she's significantly younger than him. She's 43 right now. He's going to be 59. 59. Um, she's a singer songwriter. Um, she 
was part of the like punk alternative duo the dresden dolls okay which i had not heard of before but i listened to some of their stuff and they are very like alternative so, or experimental experimental yeah. yes are they is their name dresden based off of the dresden files oh that i don't know deep cut i don't think they're together anymore also, now she does like uh her own solo stuff got it also we're definitely gonna do a dresden files oh my God. episode one day since Why we're just not? putting this out here, we're going to do a Meg Cabot Princess Diaries episode one day. You can say whatever you want. We're, and just we're not committing ourselves all not, over the we're place. We're not saying like next episode is Dressed in Files or Princess Diaries. I'm just saying one day. One day. It's on the list. You can look at the list. It's on the list. The list is 3,000. We are never going to be able to quit this podcast. We but have that's so great. much It means material. we have so much content. We have so much content. Wait until people actually start telling us what they want to hear. Oh, and then <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be like, oh my God, add it to the list number yeah. three thousand <laughs> yeah. we'll slowly make our way through <laughs> i'm worried about us getting through all the big names first to be honest like to, like for us to be like oh neil Gaiman and then terry pratchett and then stephen king and then um i don't know Nora roberts and then i don't know uh there are so many big names we'll never sure, run out of them but then, like but then there's all all kinds of the little names that i want to get into and and really dive into that stuff and i don't know i just i don't want to i don't want to rush it too much you know oh megan says margaret atwood she has graphic novels also. <laughs> margaret atwood it's about a, a red nun. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tyler's going to get canceled by the internet right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't watch Amazon Prime. It's Hulu. I know. Damn it. Okay, <laughs> Tyler is going to be quiet now, and I'm going to finish talking about Amanda fucking Palmer. I only watch anime. I don't watch live action nuns walking around. I don't know if that's a brag or not. I know. Handmaid's Tale. I know. I've I've looked into it a little bit. All right. Internet, don't turn me off, please. She is not supposed to turn you on. No, turn me off. I'm not expecting it to turn me on, Megan. Okay, Boomer. It's called canceled. <laughs> Did you just call me a Boomer? Yeah. Come on now. Boomer can be a word that you use for anyone. Who's I guess. So we're gonna go on a on a side on a little tangent right now. That already was a tangent. It was. You have to cut all of this out. No, I don't. People don't care. They do care, and I have to admit something. So we're gonna get into comic books in a few minutes, and I didn't get to read about all of the thing, all of the comic books that Neil Gaiman wrote because of two reasons. One, he wrote a lot of comic he wrote books. A lot of comic books. And two, and the reason why I bring this up is because you called me a boomer, and it's everywhere right now. <laughs> on tiktok oh. and i have to make it i have to admit i've legitimately become addicted to a tiktok oh. <laughs> i'm younger than tyler but i'm so much older than tyler yeah uh in fact i've already decided that this audio that i'm saying right now is going on i'm gonna use it as a tiktok for my first tiktok <laughs> <laughs> So, TikTok, doing a dab right now. He's not. I'm dabbing <laughs> it up. Um, it's on fleek right now. Oh Is that a thing God. still? No. <laughs> no, it's not. No. All right. We're gonna get we're gonna get TikTok famous for our for our Lewis and Lovecraft podcast. That's my goal. 
my goal is to not be on TikTok oh, ever. I'm so you we have TikTok. contradictory We're goals. We're definitely going to be on TikTok. I still miss Vine. <laughs> it's basically just Vine now, you know, but, you know, it's like better because it's not just six seconds. No, that was the best part of Vine. It's, it limited people. <laughs> I know how ridiculous it is. Yeah, it's yeah, why yeah. I'm admitting to it. Tyler is like unironically Hello, into I'm, it. <laughs> I'm Tyler Clausen and I'm addicted to TikTok. I know it's evil and bad for me, but I love it. And so the Chinese much. government is controlling it. That's why they're Nuh-uh, being investigated. For real? No, I don't oh. think so, but it is being investigated by Congress. Yeah. So it, it's taken up. There was a there was literally a night the like last week where I li- I sat down in bed with my book in my lap. And then two hours later, I realized it had been two hours of TikToks on my phone. <laughs> I was like, I've hit rock bottom. I have a problem. <laughs> I'm glad you feel like you can share that with the world, though. Like you're unashamed about your TikTok Nothing addiction. Nothing I do is shameful. I'm an honest guy. You guys can ask me anything. I'll tell you. TikTok we'll all day. We'll do an ask me anything one day. <gasps> an AMA? How do you do that? I've never actually done that before. People have to ask you for it. But do we have to like go live? Do we have to do a live thing like on Facebook or something like that? I've only seen it on Reddit. Oh, okay. But then we have to start a like a subreddit and I don't Mm. know how to do that. Maybe we talk to Tyler Frankie about that. He knows about Reddit. That that shouldn't surprise me. Actually, yeah. As much as I'm obsessed with TikTok, he's obsessed with Reddit. Let's talk about Neil Gaiman again. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So Tyler has to be quiet for ten, like, five minutes. Well, while I finish everything else, and then Tyler can talk nonstop for the rest of the episode. My phone. I'm not going on. He's going to be on TikTok. Okay. I'm starting over on marriage to Amanda fucking Palmer. (laughs) Their relationship began over email. As all great relationships do in the modern age. He blogged about liking a song of hers. She sent him a thank you note and therefore their correspondence was born. Eventually, she asked him to caption a series of photographs of her as a corpse uh, for her first or for her. uh, Yeah. First solo album. Who killed Amanda Palmer? That came out in 2008. So they kind of like that was their first official meeting. Fast forward to New Year's Day 2010, he proposed by drawing a ring on her finger with Sharpie. Holy crap, how cute is that? But she probably preferred a diamond. I don't know. Their first wedding, not legal, but, you know, the emotions were all there, was a flash mob in New Orleans on his 50th birthday. She took him to a hat shop, bought him a top hat, and then she snuck off and texted him to meet her for tea, and he found her in a square dressed as a bride and all of their friends jumped out and then they got fake married then they got actually married uh in berkeley california at the home of fellow writer michael shabon i don't actually know who that is but there were just a dozen or so of their um friends there they thought they were coming over for dinner lemony snicket was playing the accordion it was a great time all around and then after that they had another party for their family in sky which is where he lives in scotland beautiful place um and then all of the American relatives came over, all of the Scottish relatives came over, they had the bagpipes, all of the Jewish uh, Scientologist <laughs> relatives were there. All Honestly, the Jewish Scientologist his family things. gatherings must be the weirdest shit ever. It'd be pretty cool. But yeah, so then they were finally legally married, and then their son, Anthony, was born in 2015, so he's got like kids that are grown ass adults and then also a four-year-old yeah i follow him on instagram and see pictures of he posts mostly just about his kid yeah he's really cute 
Neil Gaiman posted about his kid or his kid? His kid's pretty cute. Oh, okay. Neil Gaiman's pretty cute too. It's fine. Is he? But, okay, the weird thing about his marriage, well, I think it's weird because I'm judgmental. They're in an open relationship. Yeah, I read about this. Which is so, uh, I, I guess they're just like more creative types and like Amanda has written about it where like, you have all sorts of relationships in your life. Like you have great loves creatively who like just get you in a creative sense. And that's what she had with her Dresden dolls, dude. Yeah. And also she has this relationship with Neil Gaiman where they're actually married, but sleeping around or whatever. I don't know. And Neil Gaiman has said that they wouldn't allow another relationship to put in jeopardy what they have. And then they talk and they talk and they talk some more and then they hug and then they talk some more. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means. It's all very complicated. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm just like a grandma who can't imagine being in an open <laughs> I marriage. I don't understand. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, who's not. like in his late 50s, he's like way cool and like woke. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to talk his, about his real true love, which is Alan Moore. <laughs> and this is the guy that he had showed um, his book, The uh, Ghastly Beyond Belief, to. And then uh, he was like, oh, this is really good and really funny. I like this. And so they like got along really well. And then he'd done interviews because we talked about he'd interview people a lot. And there's a lot to this relationship. But basically, Alan Moore is he he is a, a very well-known author from, you know, comic book writer from Britain. And it's basically exactly what Neil Gaiman wanted to be. I don't see it. I it's just like it's like when your friend is dating that person and you're like <laughs> i don't i don't are they funny like i don't get it like i don't like alan moore and if neil gaiman listens to this episode and he's like what's happening why why don't you like alan moore it's like he's here in the room right i it's just i remember earlier when i was talking about how like those those i had standards as an 18 year old that i don't have anymore as a 30 year old yes a lot of that was because I had read stuff from more or I'd seen things that he had written or, you know, the movies that were coming out a long time ago, not a long, a lot of his movies that were coming out at that time. And I just, I don't know. I had this line in the sand. And I didn't, I didn't like stuff on the other side of it. And more was pushing that line really mm-hmm. hard. So it's, it's hard for me to get over my prejudice of his work, but I would say I'm a more agnostic because I get why other people would like him. I just don't get it myself. And um, so Neil picked up a lot of stuff. He read um, Swamp Thing, which Moore really just went to town with and then um, and wrote like these great stories to the point where Neil actually wrote a story, uh, uh, a Swamp Thing story, and then showed it to him. Oh, I'm sorry. Real quick. He wrote, he wrote a John Constantine comic book, which is John Constantine is a kind of like a, he's a character for DC does a lot of weird, like wizards and, and weird things like that. And, um, and he wrote this story about John Constantine coming home from vacation. And there's like this goop monster in his refrigerator and he showed it to more and more like, yeah, right. That's okay. And then he, and then he showed him the story of swamp thing that he wrote. And then like later, 20 years later, um, DC's like, hey, we're going to publish that Swamp Thing story that you wrote. And he's like, you know, Alan, oh, I, you know, they're going to publish it. And Moore's like, yeah, that's good. But I like that John Constantine story more. <laughs> right. Like, so like he really enjoyed what Neil was writing. And Neil was like, it was like a mentorship sort of thing. However, like, 
whatever he had with um, Douglas Adams, like in comic books, it's it's there with more. And he got to see what he could be. This this guy who's going to take stories and take them very seriously and create comic books out of them. Um, a really big thing that he did was uh, he wrote uh, more wrote uh, Miracle Man and basically wrote it to a point where Miracle Man basically a superhero superman type of of character not exactly that but a little bit like that and he he gets the world that he is in charge of um to a point where it's complete peace and there's you know no no crime no aliens are attacking nothing as bad is happening and then he goes all right i've done this to the story i quit and Neil, here you go. You can write the story now. So have fun writing the story where the superheroes already won. Like, imagine that for a second. Imagine the idea of having to write a story where the last writer already fixed all the problems. How do you invent new problems? How do you create crisis in that world? And I don't. I haven't read it. I didn't read far enough, I guess, into this. I, they didn't bring it up. How what he did with that storyline. But that's the sort of person that that Neil Gaiman is. He would take a challenge like that and go, what's the next step? And then that brings us to Sandman. There's a lot of stuff that was happening at the same time as Sandman. Um, You had him writing. um, He he started writing uh, short stories, short comic books for 2000 AD. That got him in the sight of a few authors. And he started making friends with authors and or uh writers and artists and then he he basically self-published not entirely but basically self-published a comic book called violent cases Mm -hmm. where he um he and a friend really just kind of dove into the story where they wanted to write a comic book for people who don't read comic books and it was them playing with storytelling in a way that you couldn't do in a movie and you couldn't do in a novel. You can only do it through comic books. And it's basically him, like a version of him who, when he was four, he saw these terrible things happen to people. And he idolizes the people that did these terrible things because he's a four year old and he doesn't understand what the implications of these terrible things are. Um, so it's really interesting how he, he takes, he takes that and, and makes a comic book again, not for people who like comic books. Uh, so he does that and he gets himself a little bit more credit. Um, and and Dave McKean, that was the artist he worked with on that. They also worked on something that ended up getting published by DC called Black Orchid, right? Yeah, exactly. Was that how they kind of got their foot in the door with DC? Uh, pretty much, yeah. They they did that. And, and again, I mean, Neil Gaiman's working on whatever he wants to work on. He's writing a book. He's um, helping do... Uh, a lot of other stuff he's taking on stuff from other uh writers and authors and then yeah so um basically the 80s kind of sucked the well dry of a lot of good content for comic books so uh dc in america decides let's go to britain alan moore's in britain maybe there's other people in britain who are as insane and awesome as moore they were right there's other people like gaiman and then, so they on their way there, when when Gaiman is calling more to be like, hey, I know that you've worked with DC. Can you put in a good word for me when they get here? I'm going to pitch some stuff. That's when Moore's like, hey, I'm going to give you Miracle Man. So get ready for that challenge. And then they show up and they basically, Gaiman sits down with his artist and pitches, 
pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch to DC and they're just going down the line, you know, like Superman, Batman, blah, 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 this guy, that guy. And they were like, no, we've already got people. No, we don't want to do that. No, that's not what, that's not going to work. Finally, at the bottom of the list is Black Orchid. And they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot about her. Yeah, you guys can do that. That was Thursday. So then the entire dry or the entire train ride home, uh, Gaiman wrote out a story. Um, and then he calls up his, Dave uh, McKinn and basically he's like, here's the story make some panels so then he starts doing some panels and then sunday they go back to another meeting and show them the outline to the story and panels and dc was so impressed by the turnaround of four days that they're like yep you guys got it and they worked on it and they they started working on it like crazy and halfway through that um his artist dave realized that he hated the process that they chose to make these comic books this way. And he had learned these other, these newer ways of doing stuff. And then DC went, okay, we really want to make Black Orchid a much bigger deal than we had originally anticipated. So we want to give you guys a little bit more credit before we roll that title out. Here's some other stories um, like, I can't remember what they were. Uh, there's there's at least one other title where he was, they were they were basically doing it, and um, Dave realizes he's a much better artist now. He better he under, better understands that process, and he got pissed because they they're gonna release the the other story before Black Orchid, and he's worried everyone's gonna look at his art and see it going in a bad direction. Can he not like redo some of the art for Black Orchid? Is that? I mean, I don't think you can. I don't think that's an option when it comes to that sort of thing. I think once you send it off, it belongs. So like to they the... had already actually like printed it and everything. Yeah, they held on to it. They for were a just really keeping it in a warehouse. Yeah. So um, before we get into Sandman, I just because we're getting close to the end of, of our of our episode, Neil Gaiman has done so many comic books. He's done so many. Uh, like he worked on Spawn. He worked on. Um, he worked on Batman. Spawn actually really turned into a big deal because he created a character and nobody knew who the character actually belonged to. He worked on the Eternals. He worked on uh, something called the Last, Tempta- Last Temptation for Alice Cooper or by or something inspired by Alice Cooper. I'd never, I didn't even get into that one. Um, the last one here on the list is Batman. He got to finally work on Batman, which is a big deal because Batman was his hero as a kid and he loved the campy Batman thing. Um, so Sandman, the big kahuna before we end the show, I just got to talk about it for a few minutes. Sandman back in what? 2000, 2008 is when the Watchmen movie came out. Okay. And they had said in that, um, the most praised and highly anticipated comic book of all time is finally being turned into a movie. And even then, in 2008, 18-year-old Tyler was like, bullshit. Bullshit. Sandman's better than Watchmen. And I know people are going to lose their mind over that. But I still, especially now that I've 
actually read it. <laughs> you stand by. I stand by the fact that Sandman is a much better story than Watchmen because ex- exactly what Watchmen did. Everybody praises it because they're like it. It's gritty and it doesn't do the superhero thing and it t- takes the superheroes and turns them on on its head. That is exactly what Sandman did, and I believe that the characters in Sandman are deeper, are better, are just all around more interesting, and the concepts that they get to play with in Sandman are amazing. Well, the whole premise is like, it's a dream, right? Like, you're taking dreams and you're making characters based on them or something? The the basic idea of it is that there are these things called um, the endless. Um, you've, got, you've got destiny, death, dream... Um, desire. Uh, are they all D's? Yeah, they are all D's. Something else. Not. It's the opposite of desire. It's um, dread. No, it's uh, like basically when you're super sad and stuff. Um, despair. Despair. Thank you. Desire and despair are twins, and then uh, delirium, which used to be delight, and um, and each of these is a personification of exactly what those are. So destiny, death, all that. Um, and he wrote. He wrote Sandman um, because he just had this idea and he started taking ideas from his dreams and um, <clears throat> and he knew that it was going to come to an end at some point. Like, he knew. And as he started writing it, he essentially, the way that they did it in, in at that time is when you got to sign on to do a comic book series, you were guaranteed 12 books. So one year of writing 12 issues. Um, and just about at the eighth itch issue they know whether they're going to keep you around or not so if you suck you still have to write four more issues and they still have to print them his goal was to write eight good issues and then four short stories in comic book format because he knew he was going to get um <clears throat> he knew that he was going to get canceled so he just wrote his stories and um and they're it's intense like they're they're hard to read they're not easy. They're not superhero stories. They're DC, and they have DC superheroes, kind of. But they're not easy to read. There's a whole comic book. I kind of don't want to spoil it. I, I, it's been out for 30 yeah. years. Okay, so there's an issue where the the main bad guy of the first series, he's, he's got uh, an item of dreams. Morpheus is, is what he's called throughout. Morpheus has this gem that allows you to control people through their dreams and, and aspirations and things. And um, this bad guy has it. And he escapes from Arkham Asylum. And he um, basically gets a ride from this lady and the lady's helping him like she's kidnapped by him but she's like working through stuff with him and she is an insanely good character and then the dude shoots her right in the face at the very end and that's the moment that the first artist of the comic book decided he can't do this comic book anymore so after six issues yeah after six so that was a fourth issue after six issues he was done and so they had to get a new artist and um and so like they got this for two for four issues it was writing neil was writing at just to write the story for two issues five four or five something like that he wrote them so that this artist could just kind of enjoy himself a little bit and then after that he wrote the story so that they could just kind of wrap it up for issue eight and then they saw all these numbers that they were getting where um um so it's swamp thing by alan moore so again he compares himself to 
more and Swamp Thing, which is the comic book that got him back into reading comic books because there was a long time where he wasn't. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he says that Alan Moore's Swamp Thing at its best had been selling 20,000, uh, selling in the 20,000s. Per comic book? For each issue, yeah. Um, and I think the last issue was about 50,000. Um, and that's about as good as a horror title is going to get. That's what he said. Sandman one came out double size issue. Um, and I think it did 80 or 90,000 copies. So when it first came out, not the even first like issue almost doubled the best selling issue of his hero. That's nuts. And that's it just, crazy. and, and it like, and then he, they started watching these numbers where like they would, they would watch as younger audiences were not picking it up, but older audiences were and, and things like that. And so, you know, he just ran with it and he just decided like, yo, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and he's like, I couldn't write the Sandman and make it the story where like, Oh, he's going to go into Batman's dreams and you can see what Batman's dreams are compared to the Joker's dreams. And he's like, and we can have fun in the DC universe. Cause it is a part of that. Or I can write the story I want to write about this character. Mm -hmm. And he made that conscious decision of like, we're going to follow this. And uh, <clears throat> man, I, I love it so much. Like there's a, a whole story of when Lucifer leaves hell and he, he basically gives uh, Morpheus, the main character, the keys to hell and says, it's yours now. I don't want it. And he cleared everyone out and everyone's gone. It's completely empty. And then it's this big fight between all the pantheons of gods, the Greek gods, the North God, Norse gods, the, uh, the Japanese gods, and they're all fighting over who gets hell because they've <laughs> all been displaced by people no longer believing in them. And it's, it's super cool. Like, I just, I love it so much. And, and the art is always very interesting in the way he writes his characters as, as very real people. Never like, oh, you know, I just need it to be like, you know, I just need this type of character. Yeah, he's just choosing the stock like, oh, all-American boyfriend. We're just going to plop you down in this, uh, yeah, this yeah. universe. And I think when when he introduced death as a character, um, people went nuts. Uh, death is the sister of, of Dream. And, um, I mean, you literally, like, when you're reading the comic book, she's so approachable as a, as a character and so apathetic, not in a in a bad way not like oh i'm so bored apathetic just like it i'm here because that's who i am like the you start to really jump into the concepts that they are that they're personifying through death and you get to see that through her personification well i was just gonna say and i think part of what makes his all of those characters seem so vivid and stuff is because he was like basing them obviously they're like complete fantasy characters but he yeah. was basing them on people that he knew in his real life so yeah. he had like pre-operative transsexuals yep. dysfunctional families um mixed race couples which i mean this was like the late 80s early 90s yeah. he was writing stuff that a lot of people weren't right um addicts mm -hmm. young adults with yep. bright colored hair and tattoos he mentioned in one interview yeah so he was like really taking the people in his life and that's what made his characters so memorable for people like you Right. And, and I, I'm glad that I waited to read his work until I was a lot more open-minded than I am or was, um, because those sort of things would have turned me off. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a part, there's a, a whole issue that takes place in a diner where 
the bad guy from before is really just messing with people and um i think eventually he kills all of them but along the way he i mean it's not far to say that basically he makes them all rape each other yeah Yeah, and and um and do a ton of other things like that's just one of the many bad things that he has them all do to each other and um it's hard to read but it makes for the story to be like approachable in the sense of like it's not afraid to deal with the hard issues and he said he's like after i wrote that issue i knew if we could get away with this issue I could write anything I wanted. And he's like, and I never really did anything like that again because I didn't need to. And it allowed the reader to know this is how deep it can get. It doesn't mean I have to be that deep. So with you having a lot more comic book knowledge than me, that seems like something that would be super unusual for the genre. Is that a fair assumption? Like just pushing the envelope that far? Um, no, honestly, I'd say no. Really? I'd say <laughs> there's, there's mainstream comic book and you get a lot of it, you know, you get your general stuff. But I think the biggest thing about comic books is that you, it's a, it's a feeding ground for writers and artists to push boundaries because who are the people who push the most amount of boundaries, writers and artists, and they come together and they create these stories where they go, you know we're gonna we're gonna do what we can the absolute best we can and you get stories like sandman where people do stuff like that you get stories like iron man where he's an alcoholic and they push the alcoholism um in spider-man you had um uh harry osborn was a heroin addict and these are things that people didn't talk about they they like it happened sure but it wasn't polite company and you didn't have it in books but in comic books you had this stuff it's why Watchmen was so popular because you had people who were bad people being good guys and it's it's not common to see that and and whenever you had someone like a Moore or a Gaiman pushing the envelope that's what like that's what creates the culture of new artists so i don't think it's rare to say that it pushes a boundary so dc wasn't like taking a risk on him or anything i think that well they did when they first hired him because he was like an unknown but like yes and no i mean dc's always tried to do darker stuff it alan moore was always writing darker stuff he wrote for dc because they liked his dark stuff um but it's it I don't know if I'd say they were taking a risk because they knew what they were doing. They knew like sometimes we do stories that aren't going to make a lot of money. And but at the same time they are making a risk because you can have stuff really blow up in your face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh so so I don't know. It, it's a yes and a no in my opinion. So Sandman ran for 75 issues, right? Yeah. How did it, do you know how it kind of came to an end? No. And I, that's what I was going to, that's, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I don't know. And I stopped reading about it <laughs> in this book. The one that I have in my hand when I say this book, the, the one, the I one that he's holding. <laughs> I stopped reading about it because I fully plan to finish that series. I read a, a thick book um, and it wasn't even the whole series. It was just part of it um, or most of it, I guess. I have not finished the Sandman storyline and I 100% plan to, so I don't want to ruin it for myself. They're like finally making it into a TV series, right? Because like, I feel like it got optioned for a movie forever ago and then like someone else was going to make it into a TV series and then that didn't work out and I right. think now like a different 
production company has it and Mm -hmm. is finally moving forward and i can see that being the case i I don't know i've i try to stay out of that a a lot because i'm oh yeah netflix i I can see that yep (laughs) but and my my biggest concern is i don't know and and we'll talk more about this uh in the next episode on when we talk about american gods but uh, like i just there are things that you can write that i'm okay with sex and all of that i'm I'm okay with reading it because i mean unless it is specifically like 50 shades of gray and it is specifically <laughs> well, to bad. <laughs> get you aroused while you're reading it which i'm like that's weird i don't want to read that <laughs> but what you can very easily take something that was written in a way that's not erotic but it is sexual and then the second you put it on screen it becomes erotic and it's really hard for me to get past that. And maybe it's just these hangouts that I've had since I was 18 years old. <laughs> Tyler's still a prude, guys. Yeah, I am in some ways. And so I would be concerned with watching, with watching Sandman. Sandman as a show. Do you think it would like ruin the comics for you or would it just like turn you off? No pun intended as a viewer. No, I think I just wouldn't like the TV show like or, or, or whatever. Like it, it happens with almost everything. Chronicles of Shannara or whatever it was that that was... Uh, that was a book by Terry Brooks, got turned into a TV show by MTV, what? and it sucks. I miss this decade. Um, and then, um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff where where books or comic books were turned into stuff, and they don't they don't transition well. And I don't like the movie version. It doesn't mean I don't like the like American Gods. I don't like the TV show. You did watch. We'll talk about this next we'll time. Talk about yeah. it next time yeah. <laughs> We're already running late, so we right. don't need to start on another section of, of Neil Gaiman. Well, I think now you've convinced me to maybe give Sandman a try. Dude, I've just never 100%, been into comic books. So you like, should just read. Man, I I want to say just read the first arc, but the the the. Oh man, so I'm going to read all of them probably. Go to the you go to the library all the time. Yeah, go I'll, get, I'll get their one. collection of Sandman. It's massive. It looks like the Bible. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating either. Like, yeah, I found this one article that was like outlining all the different versions of Sandman you could buy. It's like you could buy the like four box set or you could buy the one book that's, you know, a coffee the, table. Yeah, <laughs> basically it's nuts. So um, I highly recommend Sandman. I, I really do. Uh, and I, I think that he, the way that he created it, um, man, we could have done a whole episode on Sandman. We might do a whole episode on Sandman. I'll have to read it before we get to it. Or Tyler will just have to do a solo episode. Or I'll just sit here and go, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Wow. And Morpheus is dream and he creates dreams, but he is dreams. Totally. Yep. Um. So let's say goodbye now so that we can go home and read more Neil Gaiman. Right? Because we got some... And Neil, seriously, if you're listening to this episode... <laughs> Tell us what you think, Neil. Write us a review. Yeah, we'll happily have you on our show and do an interview. For (gasps) sure. That would be the the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Let's say goodbye. Okay. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Where can they find us, Tyler? They can find us on uh, Podbean or our website, which is still Weebly because we still (laughs) don't have a sponsor who can pay for the hosting of our our domain. Uh, Our website is lewislovecraft.com. At Weebly.com. No, dot Weebly.com. Dot Weebly. Dot you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you can email us, I guess, if you have any, yeah, any thoughts, any pitches. Anything. Uh, here's something I was going to throw out there, and I, d- I haven't talked to you about it at all, but Ooh. I think it's a really cool idea. If 
um because we got we got so many flash fiction stories from people oh yeah right let's keep it going if you listen to our Halloween episode and you're like, wow, they actually read people's stories. We want to read your story. Send us flash fiction. Just send it any, to us. Any genre, any... Anything you want to write. 500 to 1,000 words. And we are going to be a little bit more strict on the 1,000 word limit. Yeah, guys. No more like 3,000 yeah, words. <laughs> reading the 1,800 word story was really hard for me, um, especially when I'm doing a voice. <laughs> it was really hard for me as a listener, yeah. too, guys. Um, so... So 500 to 1,000 words, write whatever you want, whether it's a real-life story that happened to you or a made-up story, write it and send it in to us. You, could, you can send it to lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. And, you know, if, if we can, we'll try and read it on our show. Yeah. Yeah. That episode was fun, so we'll have to and do we'll another one. We'll credit you and, you know, throw out a, a website or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Facebook, Instagram, email, website. Um also, you can help support us by subscribing on whatever platform you, you get your podcasts on. Uh, if you want to rate and review us, we always love that, especially on iTunes, because as Tyler tells me time and time again, that's where it really counts. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where I don't know. Yeah. But if you really want to help us, if you really want to just. Do you really want to help us? Do you really <laughs> want to help us? Second time I sang in this episode at the beginning and the end. It's, it's like bookends but no if you really want to help us tell your damn friends tell your friends about it tell them about how ridiculous we are but how much we like to dive into authors and ridiculous stuff about how every single episode we talk about something sexual even Literally, though we're, yeah, yeah we don't know how we get there but we do Tyler, um, what? <laughs> um you know tell tell someone about it this week and and show them force it down their throat just be like look i've already downloaded it on your phone just press play it's on there um you don't have to do that just literally me with my mom though yeah. and if you like this music that we're doing yes. intros and outros for that we didn't have to pay for because he's a friend of the podcast <laughs> because he loves us and we love him jake basson jake basson if you guys like his music, go check out his SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. And as as of right now, during recording, he just released another song. I what? think uh, the last couple of days. So he's got a new uh, song out with, uh, it's a, uh, uh, he uh, collaborated with a, a girl. I don't know who it is, um, but it's a really good song. Go check out his stuff. He's really good. And, you know, if you wanted an outro intro to your podcast or just maybe you wanted to write a song for you, you can do that. Just contact him through SoundCloud. Sweet. I All right, guys. It. Next episode, we're talking about Neil Gaiman again. again. <laughs> More about his uh, uh, writing style, writing uh, tools, yeah, and what he's written as far as novels, novels short stories, and some films. Yeah. Um, so uh, he hasn't really written the films. The films well, are he, based off of what screenplays, he, he, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. stuff. And we're gonna have a special guest, Waterman, Megan Waterman. There we go. Co-owner of the book neck. The <laughs> the employee of amy yes yeah. uh so all, all right. right play that outro here we go <laughs> you sounded like liberty mutual